Rosemorn times too. Like, and nobody, nobody goes there. Nobody knows about it. Uh, and nobody lives there. There's, there's not even any, there's no trails. You know, the odd guy goes up in there and they go to a few treed areas to go moose hunting, but like nobody has a reason to go up on the top of these, you know, they're just, they're small mountains and they just stick right up out of the ocean. Uh, the first, you know, the first day or two, it was just thick, gnarly, like trees and brush. And we just like, we're all stuck in it and we couldn't get up through it. Uh, you know, and we were camping. So every time, like I got to set up my tent and crawl inside, I felt like, okay, you're safe now. Welcome to the New Leaf Running Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Canning, and that was Tim McDonough. Been following along with Tim's ultra running races and adventures for a few years now. And what I've seen is that he keeps going after big race, after big adventure, after big race. When I've heard that he had attempted to run the full 330 kilometers of the East Coast Trail in one go, I knew I had to get him on the show and hear all about it. But before we got a chance to, he and a few friends struck out on another epic adventure in the backcountry of Newfoundland, and the stories that came from that trip are absolutely incredible. To supplement these stories, Tim has shared a photo album for you that really shows the true beauty of this untapped adventure playground. And the pictures from this are absolutely stunning. So you can find the link to that photo album in the show notes if you want to check it out. If that wasn't enough for 2020, as I dug more into what Tim had been up to, I like my mind was absolutely blown. He completed the Hurt 100 mile run in Hawaii, the double limitless challenge, which was the equivalent of summiting Mount Everest twice, and many other 100 mile and 100k efforts. So when I sat down to talk with Tim and have this conversation, not only did I want to hear all of the great stories from these adventures, but I was really curious to find out how he was able to do it all without breaking his body down. This, at the heart of it, is a conversation about being able to listen to your body, and Tim's ability to do this is his key to doing epic things all the time, year after year. And that's what I admire most of about him as an athlete. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Tim McDonough, thanks for taking the time to join me today, man. So how's it going over there in New Brunswick? It's good. Uh, you've been uh, you've been keeping pretty busy, I guess, but it's it's been a, a few months since we tried to, to set this up. I think you were in the process of uh, moving over to St. John, New Brunswick when I first reached out and you've been pretty busy just getting off your big East Coast trail attempt and all that stuff. So I'm pretty pumped that we're actually able to uh, find time to hook up and, and sit down and chat. So thanks for making the time tonight, man. That's my pleasure. I'm actually in Moncton. Uh, oh, I'm from St. John. In- I th- okay, you're from St. John. Okay, I thought I thought you were in St. John, so that's my bad. You're in Moncton. Cool. Yeah, no, Moncton's always been sort of my, you know, sister city, I guess. Uh, I didn't know too much about it. I would always sort of 
stop here on the way to Halifax because I lived there for many years. And uh, Heather, my partner's got work here, so that's why we moved from uh, Newfoundland. We were there because she was finishing her training, and now we're in Moncton. Cool, man. How long were you over in, in Newfoundland for? I'm uh, trying- two years. Cool. Almost almost like, you know, to the day. Because yeah. I was trying to think back to when we met up for for coffee a few years back. And that was that was before you moved to Newfoundland, but I think it was... Yeah, that would have been the year before in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. So you were still in New Brunswick at that time, right? I think that's, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I was originally wanted to get you on the show to chat all things about your East coast trail adventure. But, uh, man, I started digging on some of the stuff you've been up to this past year and you've had a, an epic year, like despite all this pandemic and no races and stuff like that didn't slow you down at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to fill the time with something. Yeah. Yeah. It was challenging. Like the entire, uh, yeah. Like the entire week, I signed up for this like virtual Everest uh, thing. So I did like double Everest. Yeah. Uh, you, you did the double limitless challenge. So not just the yeah. one, not just the one Everest, <laughs> but you, you did the two. And the entire week I was like uh, trying to like renovate my house. Cause we were putting it on the market and all the things I had planned on doing and that just kept getting put off. Like I had, I was like building an entire deck on the front of the house, like, and I go and run up a hill 15 times in the morning, put a bunch of the stair treads on. And then <clears throat> right like before supper, I'd go and do a few more hills. And the nice thing about St. John's is that there's hills like everywhere. So It's pretty amazing there, actually. Um, like I went over there and my brother you lived over there for a while, too. And the key was just like a warm-up runs distance from the East Coast Trail. And mm-hmm. like it was amazing. Like it was a, a bit of a climb up a, a pretty long like road climb to get up there. But then yeah, then you're on like amazing trail. Like it's pretty rugged and everything, but Yeah, the trail goes uh, the whole way around the peninsula. They've extended it all the way from like uh cbs it's called okay Uh, so conception bay south so if you're like in the city of st john's and you go directly uh, west you hit water and the trail goes from there all the way up north around the top of the peninsula and and then comes all the way down uh, on the eastern side um, of the avalon and goes all the way to kappa hayden which is where the uh the end of the trail is so it's about 300 kilometers and it goes through all sorts of different little towns and um, people will come from all over the place and through hike this thing. So it's pretty nice. You could pretty much go in any direction from the city and hit a part of it. For sure. And all different uh, levels of, you know, maintenance happens depending on what part is like used or what town it's going through. Some people love uh, that the trail is there and some other people like, you know, shake their fists at the, you know, the hikers coming through with their dreads and stuff, which is pretty hilarious. When I lived in Newfoundland for a little while too, and I was down, um, down in Vermeuse. So you would have went 
through there. It's kind of, it's before Kappa Hayden. Oh, wow. And uh, so I was down there, a really small town. And this is before I was really into running. So this is a pretty long time ago. And I just happened to stumble across the, the East Coast Trail for something to do because there wasn't a lot out there. But I, I didn't even fully appreciate like what 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 I was going out and, and walking on. I just thought, oh, there's this kind of cool trail that's not that far from my house. And I went and checked it out. But yeah, at that time, I didn't know that it went like all the way around the, the peninsula. So it's pretty It's pretty insane that uh it's there and the majority of the people don't even like use it they don't they don't know about it most mostly runners and uh through hikers you know have an appreciation for the scale the size of it and like you know there's some big climbs you go all the way up and all the way down uh from the ocean and uh you know people will know their little section of the trail that's outside their doorstep, but they don't hike the whole thing and they don't usually travel back and forth. And it is, it is rugged too. Like it is, it is not easy going trail for the most part. Right. It's hard to maintain. There are some like, like massive stair, stair structures that are like just eroded from the amount of foot traffic and they're just were built 15 years ago, but there's other sections that are like, you know, have just been worked on, you know, the week before you got there. Uh, and of course, just cutting back the brush, which like encroaches on the trail from every direction is like a massive undertaking. So they have like <clears throat> weekend uh, volunteer groups that come out that you can sign up for. And, you know, they take donations because they have like a crew of people that do the maintenance, but yeah, it's I can't can't imagine the the amount of work that goes into that. Just keeping it going. Yeah, for sure. I imagine it, it's a lot, definitely. The difference about that trail and like here is like it's all dirt. So like when something gets eroded, it just gets a little steeper or it's like got a little trench in the middle of it. But there it's just like all rock. So there's like a rock slide here and stuff gets washed away. And then it's just like a bunch of boulders you got to go through. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's as rugged as it gets. Yeah. It just gets gnarly. And sometimes it's hard to find that even where the trail is. Cause it's just, you know, the rocks and stuff is just slid all over it. And yeah, if it's not maintained then you like, you got to like, use your map and your judgment to say, I think the trails in, in that direction. <laughs> so yeah, I totally get it, man. Totally get it. It's um, kind of neat. There's a couple spots that have been sort of like, you know, there's a corner cut here or there and you can see where the trail used to be. And it's just like an organic thing. Cause it's years upon years of it being there. And I'm sure at one point, like somebody planned it all out, but then people use it. Right. So uh, it gets, it's like, got this life of its of its own you know yeah it's not only is it changing like season to season based on like what the weather and the conditions are like you're saying yeah, it's changing pretty dramatically even like year to year right depending on which which sections are eroding and tree fallen trees and stuff like that right so. 
Yeah. So how did you how did you get this idea in your head that you wanted to attempt to run uh, all 300 kilometers of this? Because that, like that's no small small undertaking. So how did you start thinking about about that? Like I've heard of the likes of like uh, Gary Robbins and some other people that that have taken this on. Like there's some pretty big names that that have done that. And yeah, I heard you were doing. It. I was like, this is amazing. And like you've been out there crushing all these big runs. So yeah, for sure. But uh, like, how how did you how did you decide? Like, when did that come under your radar? Uh, you know, it's kind of what I do. So it wasn't really a decision that I had made. Um, it's sort of like it's just something I I thought about doing. It crossed my mind, and then uh, I I was leaving town in like a few months, and I thought, well, why hadn't I, why haven't I done that yet? I just should just go and do that. Cool. So, and you were, yeah, you were planning to do it all, all in one go versus when, when my brother was there, he decided like over the course of the summer and into the fall, he wanted to try and, and piece it all together, like over a couple of months. And I don't even think he got all of the, the sections done, done at that time. So like it, by no means to anybody who's, who's listening, like this is not, a small feat. So how much, how much, like, so you, you decided you got a couple of months and you're packing up and you're moving off the Island. So how much time did you spend like collecting maps and sort of researching the route, maybe doing a bit of scouting and stuff like that? Or, uh, well, over the two years that I was there, I was there, um, I would run different sections of the trail just for long runs or, just exploring, you know, <clears throat> and uh, you know, once you kind of get familiar with something, it's not as scary. So I've run, I had run all these different sections. So I just thought, why don't I just run it all at once? Uh, I wasn't really all that, you know, phased about it. I was just going to go and do it. And I didn't. And it came as a surprise to me as, as probably everybody, I just sort of <laughs> hit the wall, so to speak. Like that's like a cliche, but like it happens to everybody. And oh, it totally does. And when when you're taking on something that that is that like huge, like it's yeah the the chance of the chance of not succeeding is going to be pretty high. Like even a lot higher than a, even a hundred miler or something like that. Like this has got to have been your your biggest. Was this your biggest undertaking of anything that that you've tried previously? Uh, yeah. Well, it's all relative, right? Uh, the first hundred miler I ran was probably scarier. Like the unknowns are there. Doing something you've never done before. This was very similar to other things I had done, and you know, it was just a bit longer. I had some help. Um, yeah. I never thought I would have a problem with it. I was just going to go and run it. And actually I probably should have planned a little more. I didn't plan hardly anything. There were so many what ifs that uh, we hadn't really discussed uh, with like my crew, which was basically Heather and uh, a friend of mine, Chris Michaelo, who's a runner also in St. John's. He was, you know, giving me a hand. Uh, so the first 
110 kilometers, uh, I ran with two other guys, uh, a friend named Max and Chris Michaelo. Uh, so we ran that. And when we got to the city of St. John's, they were done and I had a beer and then kept running. Um, you know, and I was good for a while and then I started getting pretty sleepy. And then Chris, who had run the first hundred kilometers, you know, he went home and showered and slept and got up the next day and drove and met me and, uh, you know, was helping crew me. So you, so you were left to your own, like during, during the night, when, when did you start? Did you start like in the morning? Like, so we started at like three in the morning. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of the reason why I wanted to run this was that like it had literally had never been done. So when Gary Robbins went and ran, uh, he started in Kappa Hayden and ran to St. John's. And at the time that was the trail. It was like 215 kilometers. Since then they had like, added another hundred kilometers onto the top It goes, you know, to the North of the city, which is where the East coast trail ultra 50 is starts in Pooch Cove and goes from Pooch Cove to St. John's. So none of that section he had ran, uh, for his FKT of the East coast trail. And, uh, so that was the first edition that they put on. And then from there, they went all the way up around the top, of the peninsula and down to uh, Topsail Beach. So that's kind of the unofficial start of the trail now. So they have a new map uh, set. And so they're all ordered um, from that side down to Cap Hayden. So because nobody had ever done it before, I just figured, you know, even if I got tired, I would just walk it in. Even if I had to walk 100K, I would just be able to say I did it. Um, but at a certain point, you just realize, you know, I don't want to walk for 24 hours straight. And I just, <laughs> I just went home. I was going to say, at some point, yeah. When, so what was, what was there kind of a defining event or a defining moment that you just kind of threw your hands up at? Or was it sort of like a, a steady decline and like how these things go, like steady decline and like co- in your cognitive abilities, bodies no, just no, not quite it's really right. funny because I was like sharp as a tack. I was motivated. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm done. And nobody really like fought me on it and, I mean, that's probably like a good, a good thing. Well, you were like 200 kilometers in, right? Like that's, or how, how far did you have to go to get out? Like once you decided you were. Uh, it was another, it was another hundred kilometers. No, I mean like from, did you decide you were done like at a crew checkpoint or were you like 20 K back in the woods somewhere and you decided no. you needed to like walk out? Well, I was running pretty good. Um, I started getting pretty sluggish. And Chris Michaelo, who I mentioned, he put a call out on social media and a guy named Brian Keynes showed up. This is a guy I ran with a couple times. He's not like a, a trail runner per se, but he does a lot of hills and stuff. Uh, and he was like gung-ho. He drove like an hour out of the city. He met up with us. Uh, when I got to the next place where I was going to meet Heather, he was there. And although I didn't plan to have any pacers the entire time, uh, 
which was kind of like an oversight. I think <laughs> I was really happy to see him and we ran and the guy talked my ear off the whole time, which is like a really nice thing. Takes your mind off of oh, hundred percent everything. Yeah. Yeah. So we were running and running and we popped out and everything was going good. We met Heather. Uh, we got some food and then we set off on a, another stretch. Um, Cause south of the city, there's lots of little towns and there's these little peninsulas in between them. So the, the highway sort of goes, you know, from town to town to town. And then there's these fingers of land that are treed and uninhabited that stick out into the ocean. So you run the perimeter of that and then you pop, you pop back out in another town. So we were coming up on this place called Torres Cove and we had planned on meeting Heather in this uh, parking lot of this church just before I got there, like my foot shot over the edge of the cliff and like I dropped down on my knee. My leg was sort of like hanging off the edge for a split second. And like, uh, I was like, oh my God, I just gotta like slow down and pay attention. Yeah, you know, like th these cliffs are not, they're not small, right? Like it's pretty, pretty long ways down. I think it was like, it wasn't like a massive cliff, but it was like a really like eroded. And there was like, you know, a foot wide piece of dirt. That was the trail. And right beside it was like a drop off. And in the dark, it's just black. Uh, it was, you know, Like, it wouldn't have killed me, no. <laughs> but it was. How many K I, did you have on your legs at, at that point? You think like that was, uh, one hundred and eighty. Yeah, so you're over a hundred, over a hundred miles in, and it's dark, and so and it, so we pop out on this little road. It's like one in the morning, and there's uh, this church. So there's all these like churches on the maps because every little town has got these uh, community churches. Um, so I picked these places as like th this parking lot would be a good place to get a crew, uh, meeting or whatever to meet up. So we get out in this, uh, little, little town, Torres Cove, the church is nowhere to be seen. There's a parking lot with a giant pile of like rubble. And, uh, this is the first time I really was like, I could really use some, you know, some downtime. Like I had laid down earlier for probably 30 minutes uh, right after like the hottest part of the day. And I was on one of the longest stretches um, without any aid. I came out in Bay Bulls and was like, completely exhausted and laid down there, but I popped up and just kept on running. So this church was the first time where like I actually encountered like a problem. Uh, Heather wasn't there. The church wasn't there. There was no aid station. I looked at my phone and there was like 15 messages and her car like had sprung an oil leak and it was like gushing oil. And my friends were like desperately driving out uh, from the city, which was like an hour away to like, loan Heather their car. So two of them drove out together in two separate cars so that one could get driven home like 
that's the kind of those are some nice friends man like like totally yeah like one in the morning one in the morning go drive out yeah to give heather a car so she can go and meet you like leave her broken car there like that's just amazing even though i was like ready for to sit down she was like just go to the next place where you're going to meet us where where you're going to meet me and it was like 16 no 8k or something like that so it was like so quiet like a little town uh i don't know what day of the week it was it was just black and there was nothing but stars out and we were just like walking along this road and i got to this spot where i was going to meet her and she was like on her way there and i just sat down and i was sitting there for maybe three or four minutes before she got there and when she got there i was like i'm just gonna lay down on the on the inflatable mattress that i had and i just never really i never really came back i was like i'll just i'll get it next time and they said they both said are you sure are you sure and i I sat in the car for a little bit and then i just went home and i kind of regret it but i kind of don't because i feel like i'm just gonna go back and well you do it you probably have well that that attempt in its own, like covering 200 kilometers of that, is is huge. But that is probably the best recon and, and training mission that anybody could have done to go after the the full thing, right? Like the experience that you've got from that, and like you said, you you learn some lessons with with planning and, and whatnot. Like your your chances of success next time have got to be exponentially higher. Haven't yeah. gone through what you've gone through now. Well, it's hard to say, really. Uh, living there, you get pretty great training yeah. that you're not going to get uh, in Riverview, which is where I am now. There's there's not hills like there is there, so I'm I'm trying my best to match the training I was getting while I was there. But you know, it's good to know what you're getting yourself into. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So the next section was like a long stretch and there's like, uh, there was a provincial park and there used to be a town there, but it was like resettled. Um, geez, I can't remember what it was called. Is that uh, chance cove? Is that, is that the park? No, no. Uh, I could look at the maps. Uh, that's all right. Uh, anyways, there's like a, there's a bridge there. So I knew I was going to be going through some, you know, pretty remote stuff for probably, you know, a number of hours. And yeah, it's, 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 it's funny talking about like a failure because I really haven't had a whole lot, like everything I've decided to do, I've just gone out and done. Like I just jumped from a 50 to a hundred miler and I didn't have trouble with it. So I think you you've been I'm not going to say lucky because you obviously you put in a ton of ton of miles and everything but when when you do have quote unquote uh, a failure one that means that that you're trying something that's up against your your limits which is a good yeah. thing yeah. and it means that that you you have the courage to go out and try something that that is that difficult and that's when you really learn the most and, and you grow the most as an athlete too. Cause like you said, now, now you know what, you, what you're up against and may, maybe if, if that went as, as well as it, 
and, and you were to finish that on, on your first shot, then maybe you wouldn't have learned as much and maybe it wouldn't have been as special to you if, if you were just able to do it that first time. Now, now you got to go back, you got to be hungry about it and you're going to have to get a little inventive with, with your training. But when, when you go back and get it this time, it's going to be pretty special. Yeah, I don't have any concrete plans. Uh, I had, I had sort of said a few, you know, a few uh, reporters gave me a bit of attention because it's kind of a good story, I think. <clears throat> and I said I was going to come back and do it, but I don't know really when. <laughs> well, there doesn't really need to be a specific timeline on it, like whether it's next year, five years from now, or at some point when you decide to go back, it's just, you're just going to have that in the back of your mind. I don't, I doubt you'll let it go unfinished forever, <laughs> but uh, yeah. 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 So is there anything that's sticking out for you? Like big, big lessons learned? Like, do you think that you'll change your sleep strategy up? Like, do you think you'll, you'll try and maybe take naps earlier on than, than you did rather than pushing through like, you you were well you were over a hundred miles really before you decided that you wanted to to stop like you're no stranger to going the hundred mile distance and you're probably used to doing that all in all in one push but do you think if you're going beyond that in the future you might try a bit different sleep strategy or as great as it was to have my friends there um, for the first hundred k like that was their run they had planned on doing that with me and I was going to do that, uh, with them. Um, I just had sort of decided to do the whole thing. So then, um, I decided to use that to lead into the whole trail. So starting at 3am probably wouldn't have been my, my number one choice. I was a little, anxious about getting going um getting stuff prepared i didn't get a lot of sleep so it would have been nice just to get up and go like if you're going to run for like three days straight or five days or however long it was going to take i should have just went after a good night's sleep wake, wake up rested day. yeah yeah so i didn't get any sleep like zero like three hours of sleep and we went there at three in the morning i got a cab we got dropped off and just started going uh and as great as it was to have the company um if i went back and did that i would just sort of go and like plan to do it um for myself you know yeah but there there are some like pros to to starting at like dark o'clock in the morning 3 a.m is that you get a full night out of the way when when you're super fresh too so there are but I, I think i'm with you though like i i started a pretty long long adventure and when i started it it was it was closer i think it was close to 6 a.m and i think i'm i'm better off with that but i know i think when jody started his big cabot trail run that he started much earlier i think he was closer to like two or three in the morning when he started and that was to get it, get a good portion of the the night running done while while he was fresh. So it could go either way, but it forces you to go a little slower. Yeah, uh, when you probably should be going a little slower when you're when you're kind of amped up to go. Um, 
So there's, there's definitely a strategy to it, but yeah, I just, if, if I wasn't starting with other guys and I hadn't got any sleep, I would have said, I'm just going to sleep for a few more hours and then I'll get started when I'm I'm good and ready. So, uh, yeah, I was that last stretch, um, after I found the, the rubble of the church where I was supposed to meet Heather and I was walking through this town, I was like, I had never been that tired. It just hit me all of a sudden. And I was just walking and like staggering. And, uh, Brian was talking to me and I just knew I just need to lay down. I need to have a good sleep and then I'll, I'll be able to get going again. And I just never got going again. So I feel like maybe if I got sleep a little earlier or yeah, just sleep is, uh, sleep is, I think, uh, kind of a necessary thing to factor in which i didn't really like consider yeah i was just listening to a little bit on that um last night actually i was listening to uh, jason coop i don't know if you're familiar with him he's a pretty well-renowned um ultra running coach and um they were talking a little bit on on sleep strategies for like 200 plus mile mile races and really the big thing that came out of that that discussion was a big sort of typical with most endurance things of well it depends <laughs> so there there isn't really like one one strategy that's like a fits all for for every runner and there's not a whole lot of research out on it but i guess they they re- they research it a lot with the military cuz they can like tor- torture the the people in the study like they they can force people in the military to stay up and be sleep deprived and see if the ones with 15 minute naps do better than the ones that go 48 hours straight (laughs) but well i'm not operating any heavy machinery or anything as long as i can remember to feed myself and put my right foot in front of my left yeah, which is kind of what yeah. they were saying. Like they're saying the biggest decrease is in in cognitive ability, so like your ability to navigate and things right. like that. But as far as your like physical ability to keep putting like one foot in front of your other, like yeah, there's a bit of a performance decrease, like maybe like five percent. But like your your brain power's gone down by like fifteen percent or something like that. So yeah. But as far as uh, yeah, well, you can't be too smart if you're doing this. (laughs) (laughs) It's debatable, anyways. Debatable. So yeah, I guess yeah, whether 15 minute naps are better or going till you're tired to take your first break is better. I think it's a very individual thing. I think you just got to experiment with it. I think I just wasn't really. I just wasn't ready to be really um, <clears throat> like hard on myself. Like when you're, when you're running a race and you know, I've, I've run a race in Utah and uh, it was called bear. And that was probably one of my hardest races to, to finish. Like I, I ran pretty solid for the first hundred K and and then kind of like struggled for the next 30, but the last 30 K like was just like a death march. And, and I was not going to quit that. You like, 
fly all the way to Utah from New Brunswick, you know, and uh, you can be, you can be pretty like, you know, commanding of yourself. And I think I just hadn't really like, hadn't really like fully bought, bought into that mentality yeah. for that adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if I was like, if I knew this was my one shot to do it, I would have, I, I could have slept for five hours and get up and ran the rest of it. You know, it was still a hundred K. Um, I still think, I still think that would have been fair. You know, I would have been proud of that. And I still am proud of what I did, but you know, I just said to myself and I said to Brian and Heather who were there and they're the only people, uh, you know, I said rather forcefully to them, I'm done. I, I just, I could just do this another time. And then. So do you, do you think if going back again the next time, do you, do you think that you're going to be able to shift that, that mindset a little bit more towards the, like you were in Utah? Cause it, it's going to be, you're going to have to be a little bit hungrier to go, go back again. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. I'm going to have to fly there. I'm going to have to rent a van or something. It's going to be a bit more of a production. For sure. Like, when we were there, we were like trying to pack the house up and leave the province. And, you know, I threw some shit in the back of the golf, which like wasn't in the best shape. And, you know, it sprung a catastrophic oil leak and we had to abandon it <laughs> and get it towed back to the city. You know, we had to, we had to replace the oil pan. Uh, you know, when things like that happen uh, and you're already like tired. It just compounds, right? Like it's, You just feel like the world is coming down around your head. Yeah. If somebody was like, you know, you don't need to worry about that. And... You know, all you got to do is keep going. I, I completely get that because I've been out on on adventures of uh, my own before, where, where the external factors and things that have been going on have been been quite high. Yeah, and uh, you just can't you can't bring the same amount of attention and focus to your own suffering, like that when there's that level of distraction going on. Yeah, and it's, it, like you said, it's it's just hard to to buy into that mentality to keep pushing forward during, during those times. I get that. Cause I I've been there and experienced that before too. Other than like when I'm being like competitive in a, like a race situation, I don't take this all that seriously. You know, I'm, I'm running because I like to run. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of strategy there. Like other people really have a focused like goal and training plan like to follow. I just sort of do what I feel like on the day. And I think that's sort of what it was. I was just out there having a good time. I was going to run the whole thing and be proud of it. And then when, you know, the shit hit the fan, I just, you know, went home. And I couldn't just go back and do it the next day. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's like a a once 
once in a year, once in every couple of years kind of thing to go back and attempt something like that for sure. Well, there's other things like that that, you know, you can do around here, you know, not on a trail, um, you know, but like there are like point to point sort of yeah, for runs sure. you can you can make up. For sure. And I think that's I think there's a lot a lot of fun in in doing something like that. And I think it is it is very rewarding and especially in the situation that we find ourselves in now where there's a lot of uncertainty around races. And then what mm-hmm. races are out there, it seems like well, the everyone's deferred. So the rates is is filled up anyways if you didn't sign up last year. And, I know. and then uh, if people drop out, well, the wait list is filled with everybody that wants to run it <laughs> this year or wanted to run it last year. So I think it's going to be hard to get into any race anyway. I kind of feel like that's, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I want to be, I want to be fair. I mean, people were on a wait list for a reason, but like, it's kind of a weird thing that like, it's a whole nother year. It's a whole nother year. Yeah. It's a new year. It's a new set of situations. If the race got canceled, I feel like there should just be a new registration. For well, I, I get why things, I, but I, I, I kind of understand why they, they hold that. on to to the everyone that's registered because, like the the race directors and everybody, like that's their business. Like, and they they put a bunch of money and time into organizing that race that got canceled, and without those entry fees, and they're they're owed a lot of money. And maybe they wouldn't. Well, they've already done the work, yeah. Too, and, right. And maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they'd go under and not be able to have that race next year if they gave everybody back their their money. I don't know. It's a lot of work. I guess I've just never really thought about being a race director, but like, seems to me like it's a lot of work that it's created. Like having to, you know, find out who of the people were registered are going to come this year and whether they're going to show up and how many spots are available. Like it's hard to get like a concrete number. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be a mess. Man. It's going to be a mess. I think sure. we're happy. Uh, like we should be happy that there's races at all happening, but you know, if they can do it safely, I was more than happy to take the year off. You know, I ran the footpath two or three times and did a few of these virtual runs. You say a few a few virtual runs pretty lightly, but yeah, you did the run across Tennessee. And you did yeah. you did the return trip on that too. Did you finish the return trip or no? Yeah. Yeah. That's too, oh that's too maybe maybe a little bit short. That's still that's almost, No, I think I did two in a bit. Yeah. So that's almost two thousand K there. Then you did the double Everest limitless challenge. But that was uh, like that was like running I was going to do anyways. Yeah. So still. I just decided to run up and down a hill. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't have run up and down that many hills though. Yeah, I did about 195 kilometers that week. That's a huge week, man. It was I, like seventeen thousand six hundred meters of climbing or something. It was like, pretty insane. You couldn't do that around here. There's like so many hills out your back door in Newfoundland. It's it's pretty great. <laughs> so I think I think my biggest training week ever is I've I've topped out at about a hundred miles. 
is my biggest. So I, I've never really pushed beyond that. So and I, I feel pretty worked when, when I put that kind of mileage in when I'm like on the trails. Yeah, so I can only imagine like running upwards of 180k or whatever you said that you just ran. Like that's you got to be feeling that with especially with that much vert on the body. Well, if you're running up the hill, you got to go back down the hill. So that, that's the really most damaging even, part. Yeah, I wasn't considering how far I was going. I was just trying to get the get the vert in that was required of me. I signed up. And I didn't really like think about how much it actually was <laughs> until I started going. And I thought, well, if I got like 2000 meters in the morning and 2000 that night, like I might do it in the week. Yeah. So Nova Scotia trail running had a, uh, uh, Ella's front yard, virtual 24 hour, like run. So I, I did a hundred miles that yeah, that, that night that was kind of neat too. It, it was that interesting. It was really fun. In the fact that, um, like even like where where I wasn't participating, that that you could spectate that one. Like every hour, you you could see everyone come in. So I thought that was kind of kind of uh, interesting. Like in the trail running community, like that was like the entertainment for for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun. Like I'd come home and. Uh, you know, Heather would have some sushi or something and I'd throw a few of those in my mouth. I'm a little slower than a lot of people. Like I, I could tell like when I'd come in the door, I'd look at the screen and some people would be like sitting back with their feet up like they had been there for a while. Uh, I tried to stay pretty steady though. And, um, you know, try to get out the door like when when the buzzer went off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's like that's another like that's another hundred mile effort. You did a link up, um, was it like the Fundy Parkway, the Fundy Circuit, and the footpath? You did that too, and that was like that was over a hundred k there, wasn't it? Like a hundred and hundred fifteen k or something like that, I think. Jeez, yeah, I don't know. Every time I run that, I'm always so surprised. <laughs> like it's always. Way shorter than I think it's going to be. And there's like twice as much vert. <laughs> like the footpath is kind of insane. Like the last section of it is just like all the way up, all the way back down to the sea, to the, to the bay. And um, yeah, it really, really. How does it compare? Like, you. does it thinking of something that I can relate to? I haven't done the footpath, but how does it compare to some of those hills in uh, Cape Chignecto? there in Nova Scotia? Uh, it's similar. There's quite a bit of switchback and some of it is quite rooty. So, um, so it's pretty slow, slow going. You're not running up it anyways. No. Like it's, uh, it's pretty crazy how long they go on and on for. It just seems like you're going up for, two or three kilometers <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. as soon as you get to the top, like there's not much of a view. You're in the trees. Uh, you know, there's some runnable sections, but then you're just descending this gnarly switchback. Um, and there's like, if it's, if it's been hot, it's all like loose, duffy, like um, mossy, like dirt that peels away. So it's like, 
you know, that's a challenge. And uh, then there's roots tucked away. And then there's the whole, you need to time it with the tides, right? For, for a river crossing. Like I heard that too. Well, I mean, if you, if you don't want to be up to your waist or like up to your ribs, um, wading through, you need to really be, you know, thoughtful, but you're going to get your feet wet anyways. The tide is never that low. There's like, um, a few spots, um, little salmon river and, uh, like at the end of the footpath where you come into the Funday national park, goose Creek, um, sorry, that's goose river, uh, at goose river, you know, you used to have to time it to get, um, out past the campsites on low tide or else you'd be swimming, like actually swimming. But the park is like built a whole new trail going oh, out okay. and it links up to the footpath. So, you know, that's, it's, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty groomed trail. I would, I would say like, it's, it's fresh, it's all rocks and you could almost just mountain bike the whole thing. What, a lot better um, main because it's man-made. A lot better maintained than the uh, East Coast Trail in parts, right? Like we're, you, know, you get all get a bushwhack and find the route sometimes. And well, the the Funday footpath, which is not in the Funday National Park, uh, is like just an honest old school like hiking footpath through the woods, and uh, you know there's no easy way to go, but to get up over the hill and down the other side. So uh, I went like just before new year's with uh, Dawson Mossman from Fredericton. Uh, We've done a few races together and yeah, I met him a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, he was taking his shoes off at some of the river crossings because it was ice water, like full on, like screaming, (laughs) walking through it. Um, and we didn't time it up quite right. Uh, when we get to Goose, sorry, Goose Creek, it's funny because there's a Goose River in Goose Creek. Goose Creek is like a pretty wide, uh, like estuary. It's all like grass and marsh. So when the fun day um, tide is in, the whole thing is like pretty much full of water. Um, so we were kind of like wading through some pretty deep water for like you know quite quite a ways like you know 50 feet across and uh when the tide is low you're just sort of going through like the deepest part um and it's like maybe up to your knees but like you know it was up to our waist it's <laughs> gonna be yeah like you say it's gonna be pretty cold you said well, at the time of year you, you were saying that you were doing that for sure you guys had another pretty cool adventure this year in newfoundland too didn't you like you, you and Dawson, you guys, uh, right, right. I want some details on that. Cause what you posted on, on social was, was pretty spare sparse. Yeah. You, you Dawson and, and, uh, and Brian, but what, from what I saw, like all, I just saw little snippets and it's like, okay, the, the boys are over in Newfoundland. They hop some random like fishing boat to get over to this really remote place. And then they're just out, doing cool stuff in the back country, but like, what, what was all that about? 
Well, Brian had uh, a friend who had kayaked out there before, like, and he just went along the coastline and he had taken a bunch of photos. So Brian Gagne, who's, uh, you know, the race director of the Herring Run. Yeah. I haven't met Brian um, before, but I know, I know of him. Yeah. Yeah. He works at, uh, the river and trail company in Rosse. Um, he had this friend who has showed him all these photos of this, uh, you know, coastline. And he said, geez, I want to run that someday. So he had this idea that he wanted to go there and run this. And so COVID hit me and Dawson had this plan. We had plane tickets booked to go to uh, Ecuador and Peru. Uh, it fell through, of course. Um, so I had been purchasing stuff for like a fast pack adventure. Uh, had this stuff and he heard through the grapevine that we were going to do that and that we weren't going to do that and invited us to go to Newfoundland because it was part of the uh, Atlantic bubble. That's cool. So it just kind of lined up. It seems like, yeah, you, you just moved back, but you, and you, but it's time to head back over for, for another <laughs> adventure. Well, it's funny because we were there for two years, me and Heather, and, you know, we were in the, you know, quote unquote, big city of St. John's. Uh, you don't really need to go anywhere. I hadn't explored the rest of the island and it's a very big, wild island, right? People used to live just about everywhere. Um, so Brian took us to this place um, called Gray River. There's no road that gets there. You can't drive there. So we drove uh, to the closest town. Um, that, got on a boat. What was that? Uh, was that Bergio? Was that the name? Bergio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we went to Bergio, got on a boat. Uh, and they're all locals who take this boat, right? So they were confused when we were looking to pay money. <laughs> for what, what, what are these guys going on this boat for? Yeah. Yeah, it's it was pretty funny. So we took the boat to Gray River and we were going to meet a guy who was going to drive us across this fjord on a speedboat or like, you know, a little, a little dinghy <laughs> essentially and drop us off. And we were going to just start hiking overland all the way to another town that's uh, got no road to it called Fr Francois. Francois? I think that's how you say it, right? Francois? They say Francois. <laughs> Don't ask me why it's spelled Francois, but they, they all say Francois. So uh, the idea was that we were just going to, you know, take our time, take lots of photos. I didn't post a whole lot on social media because there's no cell coverage whatsoever. I had like a Garmin inReach. Uh, I thought, you know, if we need to get rescued, I can get a helicopter out here. And uh, I tell you, the first the first day, I was scared. Like they the boat dro drove into Gray River, dropped us off uh, on this on this little pier, and everyone there came out and were standing there looking at us and they were like, you're going to die. <laughs> There's no way you're going over there. 
if you go up over that hill across the fjord, there's like uh, just a sheer drop off. And he said, if you don't have mountain climbing gear, you're not getting through this spot. I'd have to ask Brian what it was called. But so they convinced us to drive past that spot. Okay. But the, the boat guy too was like, I think he told you guys that you weren't going to be able to to leave for like until like next week or something, right? Like after you got dropped off. It's not like you could take a boat from this place back at any time you wanted to, right? I think I, I think I saw that when you got we had we had given us about uh, ourselves five days to go overland um, and around this fjord and go to this other town called Francois. Yeah, and, uh, and how far was that? How, about how many kilometers? Do you remember? I don't know. Maybe a hundred. Okay. Well, we'll we'll say it was far, hundred plus ish. <laughs> I'd have to look up. That's all right. But, so uh, I had planned on running and there wasn't much running to be done because every time I tra- tried to run, like I was close to just snapping my leg off of my body. Cause Did you guys heed the warning and, and drive past the the, uh, the death-defying cliff? Or you, you, yeah, you yeah. I took some photos. So we got in this uh, aluminum boat and the guy drove us uh, up the river, Gray River, um, and took us to the other uh you know bank across across the river and we could see this spot and we all just like our our mouths dropped this place it's hard to describe like uh so they have like grossmore national park yeah um i've been there before. this place this place is like grossmore times two like and nobody nobody goes there nobody knows about it uh nobody lives there there's there's not even any there's no trails you know the odd guy goes up in there and they go to a few treed areas to go moose hunting but like nobody has a reason to go up on the top of these you know they're just they're small mountains and they just stick right up out of the ocean so uh the first you know the first day or two it was just thick gnarly like trees and brush and we just like we're all stuck in it and we couldn't get up through it uh you know when we were camping so every time like i got to set up my tent and crawl inside i felt like okay you're safe now because because that canvas yeah little thin canvas of the tent we saw bears we had this moose like chase us for like you know at least five kilometers and like it's like a nightmare where you can't run you're like trying to move fast and we just kept looking back and you know there was a moose on the top of the hill staring at us (laughs) and like we would run to the next hill and then turn back and the hill that we were just previously standing on the moose would be standing there like clearly following us it was um it was exciting it was a full-on like adventure. That, that sounds like a, a proper, proper adventure. And I think I remember too, like while you guys were out there, we we had a sort of hurricane or tropical storm or something was was moving in on you too. As soon as we got to this place, uh, Francois, um, you know, he was saying, 
you're not going to be able to get out of here when you planned on. So we came back earlier than we planned on. So like we, we, we hightailed there because we just really wanted to um, get our stuff because we got poured and poured on and we were stuck in our tents for like an entire day, like completely like, you know, it was wind, tons of rain. Uh, so instead of like hiking through that for an entire day, uh, we stayed there. So we lost a day for the first, um, for the first stretch. I was running out of food. Uh, and we all sort of like, we're like, we got to go get our care packages, which we sent there ahead of time. So we got there and we picked it out and we had planned on going back out and, you know, running for a few more days and then going back to that same spot, which is where the ferry left from. Yeah. When we got to town, there was, they were all saying, there's a hurricane coming. Don't you guys know? <laughs> we're like, no. So we, we, we went back out for a few more days. We wanted to see like um, some of these resettled communities. There was a uh, Cape Lahoon, I think it was called. And, and uh, there was like a number of places in the sixties where people had just abandoned, like the government said, we can't keep, you know, giving you medical care and stuff. You need to like move to the bigger, you know, town in the next bay over. So like there are remnants of, uh, you know, people's houses and stuff that are abandoned. Like they're real ghost towns. It's going to be a little, uh, we a saw little two of them to stumble upon yeah, yeah. that is it yeah yeah it's like clearly like we were on like a little trail that was like man-made and you can imagine somebody like you know hiking up there you know on a date or something to look at the view you know there's you know little platforms left uh there's big beams that are just like sun bleached you know, used to be a church, stuff like that. In the end, uh, like we had planned on getting to France ways, uh, resupplying, going back, running around and just like having a good time exploring and leaving from there again. Uh, they were all saying there's a hurricane coming and the ferry, which you planned on taking is not going to be leaving on that day when you come back. So we came back a day early uh, turns out they decided not to go. They decided not to take the ferry out that day earlier. Uh, anyways, so like we ended up getting stuck there for five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was a guy named Perry Bags. Uh, we just started talking to him and on the street. I call it a street, but I mean, it's there's like little pathways that are about the size of like a driveway. There's no cars in this place because there's no roads, right? So everybody drives these four wheelers around. So all hours of the day, there's these little four wheelers zipping around. Uh, we meet this guy named Perry and he says uh, he had some people stay there with him a few years ago. And he said, there's a bunch of rain coming. So, uh, he let us stay in his shed. 
Oh, like, wow. It was nice to have a real floor to lay on and he had a wood stove. Uh, it was a tool shed uh, with like a dartboard and like some girls, pin, pin up girls on the wall and stuff. So we stayed there for a bit. And then when we realized we were going to be stuck there for like five days, uh, we got a, like an Airbnb. So even in a small place. It's still good Airbnbs. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was in Toronto. There was like, there was like an Apple TV and like, you know, air conditioning. And oh, wow. it, was, it was pretty, sh- it was Newfoundland chic. <laughs> cool. So um, imagine there, imagine once you're back in town though, you're able to at least buy some more food and things. Like if you were running low on supplies there, like, I don't know what the situation is at the, the grocery store or whatever there. Like there's a, there's a grocery store. That's like also a liquor store uh, and a, you know, it's like an everything kind of store. Yeah. But I know like even on, even on the mainland when I was living out in uh for muse, like uh, at least the fresh food, depending on what was going on, with like traffic from, from Nova Scotia on the ferry and things like where things are getting delivered. Sometimes there wouldn't be very much like in the fresh food department. Like I'm sure like you could always get canned yeah. goods and things like yeah. that. But, um, well, we, we had some bologna and that was like, you know, it was necessary. Yeah. Like it be, it being Newfoundland and me and me and Dawson had a beer and ate a pack of bologna together when we got there. You know, but then when we settled in for the week, you know, we were able to get some stuff and cool. and cook it when we actually had a stove. But you know, they don't get the best food out there, like fresh, fresh, fresh food. And if they do, it's kind of pricey. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm sure there's been like people, tourists that pop in and kind of like, you know, snicker at the small quaintness of it, but. It's it's logistically difficult to live in a place like that. Oh, hundred percent. I think I think there had been like a few hundred people living there like twenty years ago, and now there's like sixty people total that live there. And the ferry that we were taking was actually like, you know, their lifeline. If they needed to go to the hospital, they would get on this ferry and go. And their mail came on that, and all their food came on that. Uh, the entire town is um, powered with like a giant generator and they, they bring fuel on that for the generator. So, I mean, you can see how these like small communities, like, you know, it's hard to, hard to keep them going. Sure. Like you said, it's in the beautiful surroundings, but even the climate over there is, is harsh at the, at the best of times too. It's funny because uh, it seemed like the majority of the people who got out into nature, like, you know, the young men and stuff were like the guys with the skidoos. So when like everything came in and dumped in the winter, you know, you could get over this really rough terrain easily on a skidoo. So like they saw the countryside in the winter, but they may not be able to to do that i can tell you it's like some of the ruggedest ruggedest stuff that i've ever seen uh i was close to breaking my leg two or three times 
just trying to run. You run 10 steps and your your foot just disappears through like some moss up to the knee. Uh, you're in your body and your pack, uh, the weight of it just keeps going keeps forward. Going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like really quite treacherous. And not, not a spot where you would want to end up in that situation. Not only are you in the like the back country there, but you're just you're just so remote from from anything. Like I would just not you, you would be getting helicoptered out for sure. Yeah, I had the I had the Garmin inReach, um, which has got the SOS on it. But you know, you still gotta wait for somebody to show up. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's not, that's never not actually going to be it. an immediate thing. Like, yeah, you, you could be hanging out there for six or eight hours or something, or even more, with your broken leg before the helicopter yeah. comes get you. Man, there is a lot of water back there too. Like when you get into the backcountry in the south of Newfoundland, it's it, there's so much rock and stone that um, you know you get these different elevations um, in the hills. And you get like lakes and ponds, like on on all level of a hillside, and so you got to navigate these these pits and gorges and lakes, which you don't want to swim through. <laughs> Sounds beautiful, though. Sounds yeah, it was actually pretty fun to navigate, and we all took our t- uh, like our turns navigating. Um, Brian, it was his it was his show. Uh, he had planned the trip, and he knew you know basically where he wanted to get to each day. So we were kind of like along for the ride, but you know, it was kind of nice like to, to stand on the side of a hill and point and say, Oh, let's go around that, follow that ridge line down there. And I mean, you're not obscured by trees at all. It's pretty bare in there, right? Like just Oh yeah. You can see 20 kilometers ahead of you and what you think is like a plateau, um, like a, like a plane ends up having like a giant crack in the middle of it, which you can't get through. So you're constantly changing. Um, so how were you guys navigating? Were you going like GPS or were you map and compass? Are you a bit of both or what? Um, we had a, Brian had a topographical map. Um, like a, like an actual paper map yeah. <laughs> folded up. Um, and you'd be surprised how easy it was. You look at it and you could see, you know, there's this hill, there's this, you know, you know, crack in between these two other hills. And if you look, you can pretty much see it. Yeah. So just going by the features of the land on the topographical map, you're fairly yeah within a fairly good about as good as a degree of accuracy as you need you can kind of pick out where you're at and kind of more or less orientate yourself to point you in the right direction to to. it took a little bit of practice because you look at it and what looks like just a little blip is sometimes like a blip that's completely covered in gnarly like snaggly kind of like trees and they want to grab every single part of your body and hold you there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like something that looks like, you know, like the steeper climb could just be like sheer rock 
and then you can just like walk up and over it. So the first half of the trip, most of it was like really quite rough. Um, little trees <laughs> and they don't get any bigger because there's no soil there. Um, so that was really hard to get through that, especially when you're going up and over like 150, 250 meter climbs. And uh, the second half of the trip, like a lot of it was like bare exposed rock, which was really nice to run. You're running along and there are these massive, like, you know, I would call them lakes, but they, they call everything a pond in Newfoundland. <laughs> so there's these like elevated ponds that are draining into the fjord. And there's like, you know, a river just like pouring over, you know, like a granite rock and you're like walking through it. It's, it was pretty special. It sounds incredible, man. Would you? And we had only explored like a small section of that entire like southern coastline. Uh, it sounds like I'd love to go back. I was going to say it sounds like one of those like almost like a once in a lifetime thing that that lined up for you because it was so so remote. But like you just said, you, you said you're looking like you want to go back there at some point, though, right? I wouldn't have went there. I wouldn't have known to go there. Um, but like. Uh, there are these rock cliffs that are world-class rock climbing um, cliffs. This guy, uh, Alex Honnold, yep. um, traveled there. The guy, Alex Honnold, who free soloed El Cap, and there's a, a big documentary on that that was in like IMAX that makes you want to cringe because you think this guy's going to plummet to his death because he climbs these things with no ropes. Oh yeah, he, he was out yeah. there climbing the stuff in in Newfoundland, outside of uh, Bergio and Gray River and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty legit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the kind of thing where, like you know, like I've I've read some people on these blogs where like they were climbing up and there's like one spot where they can get picked up. You have to like hike to a little beach because it's basically these cliffs that go straight down into the ocean there's no way down there yeah so like you know like that spot i was talking about outside of gray river um if we had gotten taken across and dropped off we would have hiked like straight up this you know pretty serious climb through the trees ran about 5k 8k uh, over the top of this and then met up with like basically a drop off to nothing. And we would have went back and our trip would have been over. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to plan these things and we, we did our best, um, but you got to trust the locals, you know, also. Yeah. If the guy is telling you, if you go that way, you're probably going to die. Then <laughs> you listen. <laughs> and then you end up having a, it's funny though, because adventure. when we got to a, when we got to Francoise, I keep saying Francoise. Francoise. Because I feel like that's how, that's how they you say Francoise. When we got to France, uh, uh, when we got there, it was like a day when there wasn't a ferry. And everybody was confused because we showed up like overland and walked down into the town. And 
they were like, well, who are you? Where'd you come, where'd you come from? Cause like everybody knows, everybody would know that we were there if we came off the boat that morning. It was pretty funny. What did the locals uh, think of your story once you told them? Oh, everybody would have been talking good. about you. Like, oh man, these crazy people from from not from Newfoundland are over like in the backcountry. Like nobody goes back there. It was funny because um, you know, there there's a difference in Newfoundland from somebody who lives in the city of St. John's. Uh they're like a townie is what they call it. Right. Uh, as opposed to somebody who lives um, around like around the Bay. So like somebody who's like a country kind of, I think they call them the Bayman. Bayman. Right. Yeah. 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 So I was like, Oh, well I just, <laughs> I just spent two years in Newfoundland. Right. So I went there with Dawson and Brian and was like, Oh, I got an in. So I was like, Oh, you know, they're, they're, they would ask me, who are you? Where are you from? And I'd say, oh, you know, tell them my story. I was in St. John's for two, two, two years. And I think that still it, makes it, you a come it, from away, though. <laughs> it didn't help. No. It didn't help is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's funny, though, because we spent probably five days there. Like I said, we were stuck. There was a hurricane and there was bad weather. It didn't seem too bad. But when you're out at sea and the waves are like as high as the boat is uh you can't you can't like drive the boat through that no so we trusted them and we were stuck um so after seeing people like day in and day out at the store or at the post office the post office is also their library so i went there and bought some books and yeah it i think yeah they started to you know take us in yeah people brought us um a whole bunch of food we had moose meat we had moose steaks we had uh we had fish oh geez i'd have to ask the guys how much stuff we got but people just kept bringing us stuff the the hospitality in in rural newfoundland is something quite special yeah it really is like i i remember when i was living in in Fermuse, i couldn't walk past like the 15 houses on my way to the liquor store, gas station, post office thing without getting invited in for at least five suppers along the way. So sometimes it can get annoying. Some, and you're sometimes like, I just want my Tim Hortons coffee here. <laughs> and I'm like stuck. And like the girl is like, just talking to buddy in front of you. Like yeah, yeah. old friends, but they're just like complete strangers. Yeah. They, they shoot the shit. Like nobody's, yeah business you can't be in a rush there that that is for sure for sure (laughs) oh man so you thinking possibly some more like fast packing style off the well i'd still like to go down and do that south american thing that i had planned with dawson but i mean it's pretty crazy how how wild newfoundland is i mean you don't have to go very far and to go down to that part of newfoundland like Nobody, nobody really goes there except for the odd tourist, um, and and those people just get out and take some pictures of the little houses in in the bay. There, they don't go up in the mountains and the hills. Yeah, like when I cool. when I was spending my time there, it was back in the days when I used to do uh, a lot of surfing, and when I showed up off of a plane 
with a surfboard in in Newfoundland, like the looks I was getting for that was was pretty insane. But like we, uh, I met up with some guys there, and um, one of us, uh, Louis was his name. We took some like exploratory camping trips and went like up north to like central Newfoundland and like Twillingate and stuff like that. And I say it's it's pretty cool. Like it's you can find some really interesting landscapes and and features there. And like I've been to Grossmore and Grossmore's amazing. So if you're saying that like down in Gray River, if that's like Grossmore times three, like that's sounding like something that if they put that on the map, uh, that little town would be overrun with with tourists, I would imagine. Sounds pretty amazing. Well, it's 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 hard because the town is, you know, it's dying. I mean it's an aging population and their, their children are going away mostly, uh, you know, to the bigger cities, you know, people are fishing there and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they, if they actually hired some people to cut some trails up there just to even have a, a through hike from gray river to Francoise or Francois. <laughs> Uh, you, you could maybe like have a bit more of a, well, you would, you, know, you could employ, tourist. yeah, you could employ some of the, the town. Like if you were to set up like a, a national park or something there or, oh yeah, park, I don't know. Get a little, I, mean, I don't know how they do these national parks, yeah, I don't but, know. uh, you know, it's just, it's just an under, it's an underused part of like the, the world, you know, and uh, I was happy to go there and, and ex- experience that. So I get the photos and sometimes when I look at them, I just can't even believe that I was there and that we did that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's funny, like when you said I did a lot this year and I mean, I, I don't really think uh, of this year as like, that much of a failure i haven't done a whole lot of racing but you know i've certainly done you did a lot of adventure you did a lot of really cool stuff this year for sure yeah i think it would help to put a little bit of it in in context if you don't mind like if we can kind of do a full circle we're kind of uh, a little bit out of order but um oh, sure you want to take a <laughs> take a couple minutes and uh just uh, let me know how how you started running. Like, how how long ago was it that that you started running, and how did that sort of morph into this uh, crazy trail and ultra running adventures that that you've been doing now? Well, uh, I guess I I guess I should start by saying I don't really think of myself as that much of an athlete uh, per se. Like, I don't really like. I don't have a coach or I don't really do a whole lot of planning. I just sort of like, I've always liked exploring and hiking. Um, and I guess trail running was just a way for me to see more of the hike. You know, I started doing a bit more like running at the gym, uh, you know, about five years ago, maybe six years ago. And I remember being really proud when I ran 20 minutes, like without stopping, like that blew my mind that I could do that. Cause like I grew up with like asthma and I was not the kid that 
got picked to be on their team it's like in school and that was you're saying that's only like five or six years ago yeah the first run that i did the first real race that i did was uh the herring run in uh in masquerine here in new brunswick and uh you know that was 20 kilometers uh you know, six months before I ran that race, I would never believe that I could do that, but I just decided to do it, you know, and even the week before I ran the race, the most I'd run was probably 12 kilometers. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. And after I ran that and finished it, and it was like one of the hardest things I'd ever done, you know, I just made a point to, you know, get better at it. So, I didn't really know what to do to get better at it. I had no real like idea. I just kept um, running more. You get a feel for what works for you and what doesn't. And um, how long? So how long between that uh, that first that, that first half marathon? It's alright if you don't remember the exact amount of time, but is it a couple? Well, 2014 was the, when I ran the Herring run. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first race. So that was like six years. Okay. And then I probably ran six months before that. So then, so 2014 and then what year did you run your, your first like ultra or first hundred miler? The following year, 2015, I think I ran um, a few races and a marathon. So like I ramped it up pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. The following year I ran like 50, no, like 30 races and 350 kilometer ultras. Wow. Like, yeah. Uh, I ran uh, the Romp and Rockwood, uh, the Funday Circuit and uh, Brookvale. Um, you know, so I was running a, a lot of races and then I, it was a lot of driving around. I was single at the time. Uh, and then I thought, you know, I should just run less races, but longer distances. And then I, I signed up for my first hundred miles. I like that train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped from like, you know, doing 50 kilometer races to the hundred a uh, uh, hundred mile. Okay, so you you didn't go fifty k fifty miler then hundred. You went fifty k, hundred miler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure how it would go. It went okay. Yeah, yeah. A uh, good friend of mine, Mark McColgan, here in well in New Brunswick, uh, from, at the time when I was living in St. John, he came down and I ran a, a race in Maine. Yeah, we were. I talked with Mark about that a couple a couple of weeks ago, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, he he was telling me all about his experience uh, pacing you. He said it was. Oh, I was cocky. I was just I was flying. I was feeling good, and then all of a sudden, you just are like, "Whoa, this is a hundred miles." <laughs> yeah, you still ended up coming. You came third, didn't you? Like your first hundred mile race. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sorry, it took me a second. Derek Lounder here. Uh, in Moncton, he he passed me like with like eight kilometers left, and I just had no fight. Yeah. <laughs> Chase him down. You, you can have me. it, man. <laughs> yeah, you you've been he's been on your tail all day, and then yeah. Oh, it was a it was a an experience for sure. But uh, you know, ten hours after, I was ready to sign up for my next one. Yeah, yeah, so, that's cool. 
That's um, how it goes, I think. And you've done in some other cool ones too. Like you've been you've been to the Hurt 100 in Hawaii too, right? Yeah, actually, like uh, a year ago today, practically. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing a lot of posts out there on Hurt 100 right now. That's supposed to be a pretty pretty gnarly one as well. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. And a, a lot of people don't like uh, out and back kind of courses, but this was like, uh, you know, quite creative. It's a big hill with like valleys on either side of it. I guess it's a mountain. So you go up the mountain and down into one valley, then up to the same peak and then down into a different valley, you know, and you take a different trail back to the beginning. So, you know, although you're doing laps, like four or five laps um, to make the hundred miles, it's, uh, you know, it's not all the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And there, you see a, different stuff on different laps, and it's nighttime, so there's a lot of there's a lot of big names that go to that that race too, right? Do you remember who some of the bigger ones would have, would have been there? When that year was was David Goggins there that year? Uh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Um, I met um, I met Gary Robbins. Oh, cool. He was there. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, twenty twenty. I was. Probably one of my only, like one of my friends that got to race last year because of the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool, man. Um, and shortly after, you know, the shit hit the fan. And <laughs> it's funny because, like, the day I left to go to Hawaii um, and we front loaded the the vacation with the race. So like I could recover on the beach after, <laughs> uh, which is the opposite of what I did last time. When I went to Utah, I spent the whole week like stressing out about the race and then having to, you know, not, I didn't get to enjoy the, the trip because I was stressing. You out don't want to do anything because you have this massive race coming. Yeah. You don't want to hurt yourself by hiking. I'm just going to, you know, hang out here. Meanwhile, Heather's probably like, let's go do some things. And you're like, no, I'm just going to hang out in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was a massive snowstorm in Newfoundland, like a state of emergency. Like the whole city shut down for like an entire week. They had like people in Jeeps who would go and pick up uh, doctors and like pregnant ladies and bring them to the hospital and stuff. <laughs> So, like, the day I flew out of St. John's uh, to pretty much the day I flew back from Hawaii, it was, like, a full city shut down, state of emergency. You were like, I, I still feel pretty, like, <laughs> I still feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's the secret, man? You're, like, um, you're definitely not somebody that struggles with, with motivation, really, at all like well there well there's no racing so how do you keep yourself how do you keep yourself going well so many other people are having having issues oh geez i don't know um i honestly love running um i like training so it's it's not ever very difficult for me to lace up my shoes and get out the door you know uh 
I don't often just have like a strict like training plan where I have to do a specific thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll go skate skiing or, you know, run some hills and I do this stuff when I, when I feel like it. Right. So, you know, I ran 46 kilometers today. It's been a while since I've run a long run and that's just because I haven't felt like it. I'm definitely not like somebody that people should like, like emulate what works for me doesn't work for other people. Like I, think you, I don't, uh, so you might be surprised. Like it depends on, depends on a hundred percent, like on, on the person. And like, there's totally yeah. some pretty elite athletes out there with the very same, like approach to, to training. I would say that, that you take. And then there's other people out there that, that need more structure. Otherwise they just, they are kind of all over the map and they don't end up, progressing but it seems like you you keep mixing things up enough and you got enough of a like routine established that you're you're going to keep doing something and you're going to always have a good amount of like endurance that you're out there doing yeah yeah well i mean it's i'm consistent now yeah uh i guess i guess you gotta worry when you're starting out and i mean i think maybe i was strong enough to not injure myself in the beginning Um, where some people would, I didn't really have uh, a mentor or somebody to say, you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. But I I definitely did too much. And I know that I did. And I was lucky, I think to not end up with like, you know, a major injury or something, you know, but now that I have the base, it's just a matter of maintaining it. And, you know, it doesn't take too much, training to you know get ready for something it's the thing i always keep trying to to tell people so once you have your fitness it takes a it's a lot less effort to maintain where you're at and and ramp up for something versus if you're always sort of peaking and valleying like you train for something and then you stop yeah. training and then you start ramping up again you, you're always sort of in the cycle of ramping up gaining fitness and then resetting back down not to zero all the time but you always lose so much time and you always have to gain it all back again but i think it's got to be enjoyable yeah yeah. i mean if you're not enjoying it you you know if you if you you know if you're not having a good time you just gotta switch it up if it if it means you know ski touring or you know playing ball hockey or i don't know weightlifting i mean the only time i've ever gotten really strict about like uh, a regiment was last fall when i was kind of ramping up for hurt 100 and i mean that was probably one of the best race performances i've ever done and part of it has to do with it being in January. Cause like when there's 10 races on the go, I sign up for every one of them and I'm, I'm running every one, you know, like every second weekend. And, you know, so I was able to like focus on that and actually do like, you know, a powerlifting sort of plan. So like you have to add a certain amount each week and, you know, you don't want to triple your weight 
or something. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of fun. I mean, I'm not one that really like does a whole lot of planning, but that was like pretty easy to do. It's like, it's, ten, it's kind of, you know, five pounds more each week, uh, something like that. Yeah. But it's, I think it's cool that you can, you can see, the the tangible results from that though like even with a little bit of like you're still kind of mostly doing your own thing but if you give yourself a little bit of space and don't have so many races and you can kind of focus that that effort and direction to that singular goal then you have like you said a, a measurable change in your performance at the event like even though you've never been there before, but you feel like you you were able to get more yeah. out of yourself because of, because yeah. of that. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was noticeable. <clears throat> um, like I ran Gas Gaspasia one hundred mile um, in June, and I flew to Quebec and ran that race. And I remember I got second in that, um, but it wasn't as competitive as as hurt. Um, and I was thinking like coming in, going down the hills that, you know, it was hard running down hill. Like my legs were not very strong. Like they had just crapped out and I was just get, I was just dragging my ass in, uh, hopefully faster than the guy behind me. Right. <laughs> uh, so I had sort of planned on doing a bit more of strength training, um, at some point, and Heather, my partner, has, you know, a history of doing lifting. So she kind of got me into that. It was um, it was a little scary, honestly, you know, putting a big heavy thing on your back and hopefully it's not crushing yourself <laughs> underneath it. But it's supposed to be, like, I haven't really gotten much into the, the heavy lifting side of things, but it's it's supposed to help a lot. Like help out with like muscle strength and endurance and power for for hill climbing and things like that. Like I'm more into this like body weight kind of stuff when when I'm doing exercises. But I have heard of people getting really good results, like hitting the gym and doing doing heavier stuff. So I was more or less just doing, uh, you know, a deadlift and a squat um, two to three times a week you know, an, an incremental um, increase in weight and then maybe doing a, an overhead press or a bench press just to even out. <laughs> but I think even it's, out it's cool though that it, like, it doesn't have to be something like you don't need the super complicated like gym routine, right? So you just got like two or three exercises and you're just consistent with it and you gradually ratchet up the, the, the weight and then that's it. Right. But uh, yeah, so it's probably about time to start, start wrapping up anyways. Like sure. we, we've been going at this for over an hour and a half now. Um, yeah. That's really funny. Time flies. Yeah, it does fly when, when you're having fun. Like it doesn't feel like we've been talking, talking for that long, but there's been some pretty fun stories I think that have come out of this. Um, but before I let you go, I do want to ask us a couple of, couple of questions. Like at the end of the show, I just like to, to ask a couple questions to try and hit home at maybe some some insights or or some wisdom. Not that there's any pressure to be too be full of too much wisdom, 
Okay. <laughs> but uh, just something to leave the listeners with a little something, uh, a little more in depth with some of the things that we've been talking about. And uh, what's like really impressive to me is that you're you're able to sustain like a really consistent level of like high volume training. Like I know that you're not necessarily like doing all the same activities all the time. Like you're kind of mixing things up and things like that. But I'm wondering if you have any sort of like magic bullet or any secret that you um, use to help maintain, maintain your body. Like how do you keep, keep yourself functioning like with, with all the hours and, and volume that, that you're putting into training? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, I think I eat well. Um, like I eat everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Heather is a really good cook and I'm never like lacking in leftovers, <laughs> you know, but I, I enjoy junk food and, and beer and, you know, I don't, okay. I more or less uh, just keep running. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you big on sort of like any like recovery? Like, is there any, like you do a lot of stretching or foam rolling and getting in for massages or like, getting... no, no. No, that's awesome. Like, so you're just, your body, you're, that's cool, man. Like your body's just okay with it. And I just bought a massage gun that was like, uh, on sale at Princess Auto, like the place, the car place. Yeah. yeah. uh, Car price place. It was like 50 bucks for like one of those percussive, uh, massaging guns. I've been seeing them advertised for like the past two years, but they're like $300. I was like $50. So uh, I, I've used that on my thighs a couple times uh, in the past week, and it's funny because uh, it feels good. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a massage. <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. Like, but there there are some people out there. Like, in order to like maintain that level of volume, like I know myself when when the volume creeps up, like I I pretty much just have a standing appointment with my physio to go in and get like some dry needling and some active release and things. Right. Otherwise I have had issues, you know, that come up and then I deal with them, but all in all, Rick is, it's funny to say, like, uh, I do just feel really lucky. Like I recover pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and some people would, you know, think it's an insult if you said that they were lucky to have the ability that they do, but like, no, I, you know, I, like I think it- I just keep running and I don't really get all that hurt and I get recovered when I get a good night's sleep. Um, I try not to like overdo it. Um, but sometimes I do and it doesn't seem to do all that much damage. So no, but I, th- I think no, it's from, hard to... from what I've heard from you, though, like even though there, there's not so much of a structured plan, but it sounds like you do a pretty good job at like listening to your body. Like you don't try and force the issue all that much. So like if you're really not into going out and like running a marathon today, then like, right. you're going to mix it up and, and do something different. And that, that's probably what is like saving you, I think. Not that not that you need saving, but I think that's probably the fact that you are seem like you're relatively in tune with what your body wants to do, and I think that's yeah. probably a really big part 
of what allows you to to keep that consistent volume. Yeah, I got a training plan uh, a couple of years ago, and I've just used it a couple different times. And where it says, you know, you're going to run 30 kilometers Saturday and 40 kilometers Sunday or something uh, for like a back-to-back run, you know, I I consider the hills or, you know, a perceived exertion. So like, you know, depending on how I'm feeling or whatever, you don't need to hit that mark. Um, you know, it's going to be hard regardless when you get to race day uh, and you, you're a hundred K into it. Uh, everybody feels the same way, you know? <laughs> so you got to just try to be as prepared as you can for the race when the time comes. And a lot of it, I mean, it's such a cliche to say it's mental, but, but it's uh, a, a mental hurdle that you got to push through when the time comes, you know? Uh, it's funny, like, uh, I I think I have, like, a real ability to, like, forget, like, how hard it is. And uh, it's always a bit of a surprise to me when I'm, like, I've probably done five or six hundred mile races now, and... I always have the same feeling, you know, 130 K into it where you're just like, why, what are you doing? (laughs) It's that same like shock again. Okay. We just got it. It's, 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 it's actually this hard. Uh, You just got to push through it and you know, everybody else that's out there is, is feeling the same thing. Yeah, I don't think uh, it ever I, really gets a whole lot easier. You just kind of get more, more prepared to, to handle the how hard it is, and even though you get surprised by it every time, you got more tools in your toolkit to to deal with it every time that you face it. So, yeah, I try not to overthink things. Oh, well, it's definitely a lot of wisdom in keeping things simple. And yeah, don't get yeah, don't exactly. get too obsessed in the finer details of things because that really doesn't matter if you haven't done the training, <laughs> right? I think it's important for people to plan, and you know, approaching somebody like you is like obviously really smart. Uh, to, like what I've sort of done is like pretty unconventional. I think where I just sort of like was winging it the entire time. And now I'm at a place where as long as I keep going, uh, you know, I feel pretty confident in, in my body, you know, and I keep recovering. So I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, it's an adventure every time. (laughs) I just keep signing up for these things and it's really nice just to, you know, see other people that are, you know, as crazy as, as I am <laughs> for sure, man. That's awesome. I actually feel that sometimes like that. I'm a bit, I'm a bit of, uh, you know, a bit bananas for doing this, well, but you know, when you get to these events and there's another 200 runners that are there trying to do the same thing, 
it's a bit reassuring. Definitely. And it's always nice when you get a chance to connect and, or even just experience the same thing with, with other like-minded people rather than just being out there pounding all the miles by yourself all the time. It just, it helps bring it all together and make it. I got to thank you for doing this because I've thought, you know, for quite some time that, you know, I, I, I occasionally hear these podcasts and stuff from, from the States. They obviously have a lot more races than us and runners, but like there's a real desire for something like this locally. So like, I appreciate it. Might as well disseminate some information. There are people around here doing this. There there are big races. There's a lot of runners around and every runner's got a story to tell. Like they don't, you don't have to be an elite runner to, to have a story to tell. Like we have some pretty awesome crazy runners around here too but yeah that's, that's the idea i want to i love talking with like-minded people and i love hearing what what people have to say in the running community so i'm looking forward yeah, to feel free to get in touch whenever <laughs> uh, i think you've got enough crazy adventures going on that we could probably keep keep talking for a while but we'll probably have to get you back at some point uh later on after after you've had a few more of these adventures uh, whatever's coming up in, in 2021 for sure. I hope to get into capes. I'm going to, you on, are you on, are you on the, yeah, I was going to say, are you on the wait list or on the real list? You're on the wait list. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the wait list. Uh, I ran it. Um, you ran it the year I, yeah, you ran it the year I ran it. Yeah. You were, yeah, you were, yeah, you were pretty up there. (laughs) (laughs) I ran past a turn and we, uh, we ran a few kilometers, extra that we were supposed to <laughs> yeah. but i i ran it in uh it was a lot of fun nat couture was my pacer and uh now it's moved up to cape breton so yeah man i did i did it's a whole different race i did a decent amount of running up there this year we took a couple of trips up there and where the where the race is being held is is beautiful like it's is a really nice trail oh, i can't wait i'd love to get in it's funny because uh i just uh I have a hard time not racing when I'm at a race. I would love to just sign up for a race and just like, just chill in the back. <laughs> you should, you should uh, make a point of that. Like where, if you're doing a lot, lot of races, maybe, maybe pick one and just have some fun with it and try, try and just to, to chill and maybe help some people out, spread some cheer. That's been my MO like a few times. Like people have always said like the the best advice they're like don't don't get out too quick, you know. Uh so I sort of go slow and I eventually just like start going faster and faster you can't, <laughs> when you everybody can't else stop is the slowing train down after it's built up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I like to think of myself as a just a big lumbering moose. <laughs> Just keep charging through. Oh, it's so perfect. It brings you back full circle to your uh to your adventure in backcountry Newfoundland that was chasing you. Well that's funny, yeah. The um the belt buckle for um the Riverlands r- race in, in Maine has got a moose on it. <laughs> your first hunter miler. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Awesome, man. So I think we did it, man. 
thanks thanks so much for for taking the time out and coming on the show i really appreciate it and uh yeah we're definitely gonna have to catch up at some point later on next year and and get the lowdown on on any more of these crazy adventures and things that you've been up to man okay well cheers uh rick thanks so much man again i could really appreciate it and uh hopefully we can catch up at some point when our bubble is back in action and and share some miles say hi to those uh, new brunswick friends for me how did that one land for you did it broaden your horizons and inspire you to get outside of your comfort zone when planning your next adventure? I know for me, I found Tim's tales to really truly change the way that I have thought about what's possible when I'm seeking adventure. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, the best thing that you can do is subscribe and leave a review. If you've already done that, then it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with your friends on social media. I love seeing posts or getting tagged in people's stories. It's really awesome. I really need your help to grow the show in order to make this sustainable so I can keep bringing you conversations with real runners in our community who are out there doing amazing things. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.